If you will, open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to 1 Peter 4. We're going to be in verses 12 and 13. For those of you who regularly attend Christian Fellowship Church, you know we've been studying the book of 1 Corinthians, but this was a crazy week for me and an opportunity for me to say, wait a second, with my schedule, I'm not going to stay in 1 Corinthians. I'm going to pull back a message that we'd studied many years ago, about 13, 14 years ago, I think, um, I think we're 2004, so about 13 years ago, a passage in 1 Peter. So 1 Peter chapter 4, if you're visiting, there are sermon notes in the bulletin, and you see the theme of it is your attitude in the fire of trials. That's what we're going to talk about today. And this is a great passage, I believe, for us to study this week with the idea that we celebrated Independence Week. We had Independence Day, the 4th of July this past week. And did anybody hear the expression this past week, freedom is not free, right? It got used and gets used a lot. It's a phrase that is often used around Memorial Day. It's used around the 4th of July parades to honor the veterans who've given their lives so that we could have, so that we can have the freedom that we enjoy in America. And I saw this week with the parade in Highland, I don't know if anyone got to go. I know that uh, Aggie was going, and Aggie had sent, Aggie Ryan had sent out a request if anyone wanted to join her. It was the first time that the Highland Parade had done this, where you took like a, like a poster board, and on the poster board, there were pictures of people from Indiana that had died in different wars. Oh my goodness, it was so heartfelt. It was so touching there was like a father i saw this was on facebook a father they were carrying him and his wife and then i think a niece of his were carrying pictures of his son and i don't know if there was 50 to 100 people and they were marching and and you look at all of these names of people that have been touched um families here in indiana because someone in their family had died and i know for me i don't know if you guys always catch it as we go down ridge road there's that name of that soldier that died from Munster, and I always see his name, and I think every day his family's life has never been is, uh, never the same because his, he went off to the war and he got killed, and mom and dad have to live with it every day. Freedom is not free here in America anywhere, really. And so when you look at that concept of death and war, those are two things I hate. I hate death, I hate war, and they go, they, go, go, they go together. War brings so much devastation, and the devastation is, is um, so irreversible so often. And that's why, for those of you who attend here regularly, you know that I've, I have a hard time as war movies have gotten more graphic and more, you know, more advanced in what they show. I have a hard time watching them. I don't know about you, but when I was a little kid, they used to have war movies and someone would get shot and someone just falls over and there's no blood and there's no pain, but they've gotten a lot more advanced and, and it just rips me to shreds. I can't imagine the trauma of someone actually going through war. I've watched too many war movies and I don't ever want to go to war, let, us, let alone um, not watch them. And one movie that is haunting to me is one where there's a reenactment of D-Day, and I've shared this, it always gets to me, because as General Eisenhower is being portrayed, is getting the, the information that 
on June 6, 1944, they were going to go in, we're going to go to the beaches of Normandy. They've calculated the number of people that are going to die on the shores. And it's incredibly high, I think 30, 40%. And there's a scene where Eisenhower sees a bunch of young boys, 18, 19 years old, and he looks at, and as I said, there's like a hundred of them, and he knows that out of that hundred, 40 of them are not coming back. And he goes and he talks to them, and it's just, he wants to, you know, where are you from? What do you do? What do you like? You know, nothing about, you know, go rah-rah, go kill Germans tomorrow, because the things that just really matter are the people that you love and you care for and the things that you like to do, the baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, right? Sometimes you're just like, I just want life to go on. But he, had a, he knew that these people were going to die. And he, and he knew that they had a price to pay. And he told them, you know, be strong tomorrow. I don't know if you ever thought about the book of First Peter, but the book of First Peter is a book that is telling you to be strong. It's going to be hard out there. It's almost as if literally God has said, I'm looking out and I see people and they're going to go off to battle and I, I just want to let them know it's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. And you've got to fight, though. You can't give up. The book of First Peter is a book that reminds us that we're going to face trials. Now, I said, turn, turn like to First Peter chapter 1. Look at this. Peter is writing this in the mid-60s. This is right very soon before he's going to be killed. And he's writing to a bunch of people that are going through persecution. Let's just a background on this book. Look at verse 6 and 7. He, he, he knows that they've been protected by God, that they're saved. But then he says this in verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while is necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. Well, these people have been scattered out of their homes. They, they've been people that have been, some of them have watched their friends killed for their faith. And he says, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, and that's an expression that's going to come somewhat into our text today, tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory at the honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. They're going through these tough trials. This is God coming to you and saying, I know that you're going to go hard, through hard times and you're going to go through suffering. Verse 11 of chapter 2, turn to 2.11. And it says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. And the idea is not only do you have outside persecution, but God is saying, listen, I know that you go through tough times and you go through trials and sometimes it's a war. And some of you, you know, you got temptations and sins that you participate in and it gets really hard and you're on your bed Maybe leaning on your bed on your knees, crying, God, I don't want to give in to this. I remember a, a young girl t- once telling me she just would hold on to her bedpost because she was tempted by a certain sin and she didn't want to give in to it and just the crying and the pain. And so you're saying to yourself, not only do I have to deal with people who are persecuting me, but I, God is telling me when you are given these lusts that wage war because sin, if you give in to it, will destroy your life from the inside. Don't do it. Fight it. So I urge you as aliens and strangers, abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. Verse 12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may 
they may, because of your good deeds, observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Verse 13, submit yourself to the Lord's sake for every human institution, whether it's the king or it's the one authority. And here from chapter 2 through chapter, good portion of chapter 3, is more, one, some of the strongest exhortations is when you get kicked, don't kick back. Submit to the government, he goes into saying. He, he goes into people, the exhortations that we as Christians are supposed to be totally different. We are supposed to honor the king instead of hate the king. He goes into the idea of, of the fact that we are people that are to be submissive even to our masters. Using the expression of a master with a slave, which we have said, okay, in America we don't have masters and slaves right now, but we have the idea of the fact that we have employee, employer. So we look at verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but to those who are unreasonable. What do you mean unreasonable? What am I supposed to protest? God is saying, no, you are to be different. With the fiery trials and the difficulties that come through even your workplace, you're to be different. Verse, verse 19, for this finds favor for the sake of consciousness towards God. A person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. What do you mean, suffering unjustly? Now, for what credit is there when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience. But if you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. And then he brings in, for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you. And the gospel is, is that Jesus Christ was the only innocent person ever, for we all have sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And, and I went back and I was reading Psalms this morning. I was telling the Sunday school class, I can't remember if it was Psalm 69 or 99, 129. That's the pattern I read. I read, I read Psalm 9, 39, 69, 129, 99. And the Psalms today were just over and over, I believe, fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ, the incredible pain he went through on the cross. And the hurt that he went through. And we understand now it was because he died to pay the penalty for our sin. We owed a debt, but he paid it when he, being God, came to earth as a man because the wages of sin is death. The reason good works don't save, most people don't know, isn't just because you have to have a perfect sacrifice. It's because the wages of sin is death. It's the death of a human. No human could pay it. That's why God had to become a human. He was perfect. He died. He paid the penalty that all of us owed. And, and he pays this penalty. And when he resurrects, he shows that the payment was accepted by God the Father. And now he offers it by belief. And you would think the world would love it, but instead the world hates God. And, and, and for some reason, sometimes we think, no, the world's going to love us, and the world's going to be so kind to us. No, they hated God, they hated Jesus, and now they hate us. Because the clearer you are, as Carl echoed, those who live godly will be persecuted. And I'll tell you, to the extent that you're honest with friends and family and neighbors, the hatred is there. And if you're not facing it, often it's because you are not being faithful, because you're being silent about the gospel. And I, I just want you to understand, we are in a world that hated the kindest, nicest man that ever lived. Think about it. What did Jesus ever do that was wrong? And they tortured him. They beat him beyond belief. 
And then they put him on a cross and they killed him. That's the world that we live in. And if we have our head in the sand, then we forget it. So God gives us this letter. This is a letter like Eisenhower telling the troops, tomorrow's going to be tough. I know it. God is saying, your tomorrows, your todays are going to be tough. And I thought you know, as you go on, as, you, as this letter goes on, in chapter 3, he says in verse 1, You wives, be submissive to your husbands, so that even if they are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of your wives. By, 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 by the behavior of their wives. And we won't go into all the details, but he'll be on wives and then he's going to get down in verse seven you husbands in the same way there's a sense where in the marriage you just don't walk out there's going to be hardship there's going to be difficulty and there's times when you have to walk out i get that so we're not going to go in on that path but the reality of it is is marriage can be hard and marriage can be difficult and obviously we live in a day and age when there's no fault divorce how foolish is that so he says in verse eight sum up let all of you let uh, all of you be harmonious sympathetic brotherly kind-hearted and humble in spirit not returning evil for evil when everything in our lives say you return evil for evil and we live in that world but god says i want you to be different and it's almost like now god is saying go out and battle and go to war but i don't want you taking a weapon i don't want you to be someone's like like that punches back wait a second oh make my day that's my era god is saying this is what i expect of you but he tells us in verse 9 giving a blessing instead for you were called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing and it's through this passage that he goes through and then he says verse 1 of chapter 4 therefore since christ has suffered in the flesh arm yourselves with the same purpose Christ suffered, you suffered. Now, not for you to earn salvation or you to be someone that is earning God's favor, but God wants us to have the mindset of Jesus Christ to be different so that we no longer live in the lust of men. That's the will of God. So that's the setting. This is a book that is challenging us how we're to live how we're to have a mindset is far different than, than, than the world that we're not looking at life as just something that's nice and easy. We are in a war, we're in a battle, and we, we're in fiery trials. And what I, I thought would be good for us to do is to just be reminded of the mindset. So you look on your notes, it says your attitude in the fire of trials. By attitude, we're talking about the way you think. And you'll see this makes all the difference in the world. So here's our text today, verse 12 and verse 13, chapter 4, 1 Peter. And what we're going to do is break it down. I'm just going to make it, look at four parts of this instruction. He says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation and so fill in the blank do not be surprised with fiery trials fiery f-i-e-r-y and then i thought i'd say it just the in another way the second line is expect trials expect them expect trials 
what we have here as he says, he's writing to believers and he, he says, beloved. Now, if I just told you, you know, you're going to go into a very difficult time. It's going to be horrible for you. And this is God ordained. You might be thinking, does God care for me? I think there's no accident there. Every word is perfectly placed in the Bible. Beloved. He could have said brother and he could have said, you know, some other term. But he used the term of incredible endearment to remind us that God loves us. But this is a command. And the key action is not to be surprised. It deals with an attitude. This is what you're to think about trials. You're to expect them. You are not to be surprised. It's like you know a surprise party is coming, but you don't, you don't fake it. You just don't act like, whoa, I didn't know that was coming. You know it's coming. You know what gift you're getting. He calls the people to be ready for action. And you know what happens is we, we go through trials. What do we do? We complain. We get anxious. We back down. Like, I, I didn't expect this was going to happen. I'm not, I'm not going to. No more. That's no more. I'm not going to deal with that person anymore. God calls us to interact with the world, to be different, to let them see that we're different. And, you know, when you look at that word, fiery, how appropriate. When you deal with fire, fire is hot and fire is destructive. And some of our best expressions, you know, it's, you know, you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen, comes with the concept of fire. Some of the best expressions, you know, we, we see in our area with the steel mills, the, the furnaces. Some of you guys know people, if not some of our people in our congregation have worked in the steel mills with the furnaces. How hot they are incredibly hot and if a person falls into the melted steel boom you're in <laughs> no chance you're dead fire brings incredible destruction god couldn't you have used a different expression don't be surprised that you know hardships difficulties no god wants us to understand these are fiery trials you know in scripture perhaps the most i'm not gonna have you turn there for the sake of time is just the most intense trial that we know dealing with fire is when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three strong believers in God who were faithful in Daniel chapter 3, won't give in to the king's demands to do something that shows they don't honor God. They get thrown into a fiery furnace. And you know, we're all thankful that we believe the pre-incarnation, pre, um, pre-incarnation of Jesus Christ comes i believe it's him comes and delivers them we'd all love that to happen for us but sometimes it doesn't happen and people actually do die in their in the persecution that comes upon them and so when when a trial comes upon us and god says don't be surprised we're to have an attitude that we're we are to expect the trials but what happens is we go through these things and we start thinking, I must be a bad Christian. But it's not bad Christians that have the fiery trials. That's why it's so good for us to remember the book of Acts, where we see Christian after Christian after Christian persecuted because they were faithful, because they were the good Christians. But we think sometimes these things are happening because I'm a bad Christian. That's just the opposite. Or we think that I've done something wrong to deserve this trial. And, you know, sometimes we do mess up, and Paul and Peter does warn not messing up to get into trials. But just because you're faithful, you will find yourself in trials. 
And sometimes you think, well, I'm not a Christian. That's why this is happening. That's not true at all. You know what you believe. You know that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You know that you're born again. Just because you're going through a trial doesn't mean that you are not a Christian. And then sometimes when we're surprised by these trials, we say to ourselves, I've got to avoid it. I, I've, got to, I've got to do what I can. I've got to learn how to navigate through life by not saying things and not being a witness and not being a, a, a testimony for Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Satan wants you to do. And, you know, I've known people that have gotten burned in fires. My Aunt Wawa, her name was Ella, changed her life. Young girl playing by a fire in Dubois, Pennsylvania. Um, the kind of clothes back then that if a little spark come from the fire, they were burning wood in the backyard, um, catches on, your clothes catch on fire. And my aunt was a little girl, and th- they say the skin was just absolutely pouring off of her. And she, she never was the same. Um, n- obviously not as attractive, never got married, and it was a horrible, horrible um, accident. And that's what fire does. And uh, I've shared with you that I knew a girl in college, and half of her body was absolutely seared, which always because she was like seven years old, and she went into the um, garage, and her father had gasoline for the lawnmower, and somehow she decided to play with matches, and boom. And here's this girl that was absolutely gorgeous. And literally, you would walk, look at her from one side, and you wouldn't even know. It would be like, here's this one of the prettiest girls you've ever seen, but the other half of her body was absolutely singed. And so I, that was always something. Cause that happened to me when I met her when it, I met her in the 1980s. So now I've got my son Joshua. If you guys ever see Joshua, sometimes Joshua would go into the, go, go into the garage, and here's little boy playing matches with playing with matches and I think oh my goodness Josh do you not understand what could happen and we've all watched was it last Christmas time here in Hammond and found out what happened where those three little children were killed in the fire in Hammond and it was all because the father of the house didn't want the landlord to come in because they were trying to collect rent so the father barricaded the front door of the house and so when the when the fire started in their house the little kids all started to run out the door but they couldn't get out the door and they all died and you think how could these things happen but we and 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 the devastation is just horrible and god wants us to understand we're in a world that doesn't like christians doesn't like god doesn't like the true jesus they like the Jesus that is holding a little lamb and blesses little children and, and doesn't say anything that's negative. Like, you're a sinner unless you repent, you're going to hell. They, they don't like that Jesus, but the other Jesus they all love. The more you stand up for God, you will be persecuted. God is saying, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeals, or, ordeal. And, and several years ago, if we had a video here of evangelism and uh, challenging us in regards to evangelism and there was a true story of a fire chief if you can imagine who who when there was a real fire didn't get involved because he was playing on his brand new cell phone right i think that's how the illustration went i might have it off it maybe was a cell phone for someone else but you say how could you do that 
How could you be a fireman and not get involved in saving lives? And a little girl died in that fire because he didn't get active. And this is what God is saying. Expect trials. Expect fire in your life. Expect the fact that you're going to have to engage. But be engaged. Because unless you get engaged, this world will not hear the message of Jesus Christ. We have to be the ones. That's what God is saying through this book. It's like Eisenhower telling the boys at D-Day, you got to go to that, fi- that battle. we got to achieve freedom for the world. But it's going to be costly. So don't be surprised with fiery trials. Look at the next one. But here's the one that kind of gets harder, the second half of verse 12. Do not be surprised at the fiery trials among you, which comes upon you for your testing. Fill in the blank. Realize God tests you. Tests, challenges you. You say, wait a second, God tests me? Building off the idea of a fiery test, Peter makes it clear that this trial is coming upon you to test you. The second part of this instruction is that Peter wants you to know the key truth that these trials are allowed by God for your testing. And who are the tests for? There's two people they're for. Number one, they are for your growth. We don't have time for First James chapter 1. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you face various, trial, various multicolored trials, knowing that the test of your faith produces endurance. What do you mean endurance? It makes you stronger. And that passage goes through five or six instructions in the book of James, chapter 1. I encourage you. Here's another book that's reminding us of trials. But trials are there to bring about our strength, like working out. You know, some of you know I'm, I'm doing that triathlon at the end of the summer. And I haven't been working out in the past year because I, I, I hurt um, my shoulder and now I started working out again and now I start in March and I'm doing 10 minute miles and I can hardly get around for a run and I'm doing the bike and it's like horrible um, for about you know, 7, 8, 9, 12 miles I'm, I'm doing four, 4 minute miles and I'm so slow I'm still slow but last night I'm, I'm down to almost a 9 minute mile all right? Because you have to endure. You have to push on. You have to keep going. And, and so you can pray because you know what I've realized? If my little dog runs with me, I go faster. <laughs> so poor little, I have a little Bashan poodle, and she runs so fast. She did limp for a couple of weeks there. But, but, but listen, God knows sometimes you need to work out. God knows what we need to go through. And you say, well, why, why, God, can't we just all go to heaven? He says, no, somehow you need to be stretched in your faith. You need to learn patience and kindness. You need to understand the depths of not returning evil for evil. You need to understand, you are, when you go through, and this is why I beg you to regularly read the book of Psalms, where you read the psalmist anguish over doing the right thing and help me God to stand up under the pressure and help me to be faithful those passages like psalm 7 in you i've taken refuge and you can just get the cries of god i think you know when i go through a trial and i say it's a good one i'm praying to god when i go to bed i'm praying to god in the middle of the night i'm praying to god when i wake up but when life doesn't have those trials, I'm not being stretched. I'm not growing to the intensity where I'm memorizing Scripture and thinking of Scripture. When I'm not in that fiery trial, God wants these trials in our lives to cause us to grow. And 
If you run from them, you're not going to grow. You're not going to be as strong. And you say, well, I don't care. I don't want to be strong. Well, listen, you become milk toast. You become somebody that isn't strong. Then you do get run over. You do get beat up. And it's not good for you. It's far better to be strong than it is to be weak. And the second person the trials are for is for the unbeliever. Because we saw that earlier, that God wants us, in chapter 2, he said, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, that's the nation, so that in the very thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. We're a witness to them, and without going through all the theologies, witness to some of them are going to be saved, and some of them it's going to be incredible judgment. I truly believe that passage out of the book of Romans where you, know, you put burning coals on their head is that that is judgment. That is out of the Psalms. You guys should tie that in. I can't remember which Psalm it is, but it's a Psalm that God is, might be 116, that God is saying that, that unbelievers are going to face judgment for the way they treated us. So when we go through trials, know that God is testing us, and he's got a reason for the test. And we say, well, God, I, I don't understand. I love you. I care for you. Why are you allowing this trial? And some of the trials are difficult. Some of the trials are just absolutely horrendous, where they break your heart. And, you know, you say Eisenhower had, like, they would welcome the troops back after D-Day, and it was horrendous what happened. Some of us, we look around and we see believers, and you think, how, you know, what have they gone through in life? The difficulties they face, whether it's the death of children, the, the spouses walking out on them, health concerns, like, why do you allow these things to happen? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, from the sense of like how God chooses what everybody gets. But I've, I, from what I've known with people who are faithful, everybody gets something. So understand these are by God, God's design. But then look at the next verse, verse 13. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Keep on rejoicing comes from a Greek word, it's a present tense imperative command, rejoicing. And so in English, we say, keep on rejoicing. So the attitude here is that you are to rejoice the more you suffer for Christ. Wait, this is totally opposite of what I go through. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. God wants us to be people that have an attitude of joy in the midst of suffering. And this is totally opposite of the world. The world says you go through suffering, you complain, you, you, you cry, you, you, in the sense of like you walk away from whatever's causing this. But God wants us to have that joy. How can we have joy in suffering? Well, it's because we're identified with God. Let me just show you two passages from the book of Acts where this is perfectly modeled. So turn to Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, where the apostle Paul, um, Peter and John were in prison and they were in prison they were just released and instead of complaining they they rejoice over this trial so acts chapter 4 book of acts chapter 4 verse 24 so this is when peter and john are released from prison um and it says 
Well, I'll pick up in verse 23. It says, when they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God and with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who have made the heavens and earth and the sea and all that is in them. You who by the, you by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant said, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's divine foolish things, futile things? To the kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. You should all know that's Psalm 2. And that is still to be fulfilled. The world is, gonna, is not stopped. It's hatred for God. And I'll just give you a side note. Colossians chapter 2 is one of the passages that have been indelibly impressed in my life. Colossians chapter 2, when Paul talks about the hatred and the beatings he took, it was because the world hated Christ so much that it overflowed into beating up Paul. We've got to recognize the world absolutely hates God and will never, ever in mass come to God. But he says, for truly in this city we're gathered together against your holy servant Jesus. Um, and, and verse 31, when they prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. And the idea is, is I believe they know they're on God's side. And that's why when you carry it into chapter four, 5, very same thing, the apostles get imprisoned um, then they, they're going to get released. And um, where is it? Jump, jump down. Um, the, Gamel wants to beat them. and uh, well, No, Gamel only wants to let them be beat, not have them, I believe, killed. And so pick up in chapter 5, verse 40. After they took his advice and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then release them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing, there's our key word, rejoicing that they have been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Because they're recognizing we're, this is proof that we are truly identified with God. We're truly identified with Jesus. And we're recognizing that we're on the right team. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. And so turn back to 1 Peter and I, I just want you to understand, you know, it's the same attitude that Paul has in Philippians chapter 1. And to me, you say, how in the world can I keep on rejoicing? Um, get my sermon notes here. How can I rejoice? Because we're recognizing we are on the same team. And an illustration I've used before, I'll use it again. It's an illustration that we win. You know that I like sports. And one of the things that I do, sometimes my schedule is so busy that I've got I've to tape my sports games, tape or record. And Brian Haskins will help me. And um, one of the things I hate have happen is if I'm going to watch an Ohio State game or when I used to have a football team, the Cleveland Browns, okay, I would not want to hear the score because I want to know who won. And if I would know the score, it totally changed the way I watched the game. Because if you know that your team won or your team lost, you know, you, you, you're, absolutely, you're absolutely not going to have the same heart palpitations. 
And, you know, one of the most famous stories I ever had was, boy, boy, this was like probably 1997. The Cleveland Indians were in the World Series, and the Browns were playing the Chicago Bears. You guys remember this one? And, and Brian tapes the game for me, and the Browns are playing the Bears, and, and the Browns are beating your Chicago Bears 21-7. to And there's two minutes to go in the game. And I'm thinking to myself, boy, we've got the ball. The Browns have got the ball. Two minutes to go. We're just going to punt, and then... And, and, and this game is going to be over. I can stop the tape and switch over to watch the World Series at this point. So I flip over and I go to live TV. And the announcer breaks away and they go into a commercial and they say, and the first person thing they do on the commercial and says, they, they say, how did I put it? Tune in at 11 tonight for the Bears' incredible victory. <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget. It's been almost 25 years. I turned to Becky. What? What? How? How? We've got the ball. It's 21 to 7. There's two minutes to go. And for those of you who remember the game, it was one of those incredible collapses. We punt. The guy returns it for a kickoff. They, they, I forget how they get the ball back. It goes into overtime. I think it was a guy named Mike Brown. Interception goes in for a touchdown. And we lose, and we lose. Even watching that, <laughs> I, 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 at least I knew we were going to lose. But listen, the video that we've got is that we as Christians win. That's why we can rejoice. Otherwise, you're right. You're right. We should wring our hands. We should cry. We should all be in ter- terrible pain with the hardships that we go through, the fiery trials. But look at but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. We win. And that's why the very last line is the, uh, the revelation of, of his glory. You may rejoice with his exaltation. The last attitude is look forward to rejoicing in the presence of Jesus. Look forward to rejoicing. So not only you rejoice the more you suffer for Christ and identify with him, but the fact that we're going to be in his presence and we are people that when... Jesus appears, and I'll just read, you know, well, 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 and 29 talks about the fact that we're not going to shrink away. When you're faithful in the midst of trials, and you're going to face Jesus, and Jesus is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. He is. He's going to commend you for the way you live. This is the neat thing. You know, you serve a boss, and the boss doesn't see everything that you do. Maybe you're trying to be a godly spouse and a loving spouse, and maybe sometimes you do something and your spouse doesn't even see or your kids don't see what you do. The neat thing for us is that God sees everything. There's nothing hidden. You have an attitude where you bite your tongue. You don't return evil for evil. You don't do something of retaliation to the wicked neighbor that you've got. And instead, you pray for them and you bless them. God sees it. You don't have to announce it. You don't have to have great parades and accolades now. Because God sees it. And so what he's saying is at the revelation of his glory, at the end time judgment, everything is going to be rewarded. And that's what we've been studying in 1 Corinthians. That we will have great reward for our life. And so you can look forward to that victory. I know it's not going to be easy. My goodness. How many times have I cried myself to sleep or woke up 
after crying myself to sleep, where you wake up in the next morning and you say, God, I've got to keep praying. I, I've gotta, I, I, I can't believe this is going on. Trials are hard. But because of our sin, this is the world that we're in. And I say our sin, mankind's sin. So look at this. Let me read the scripture again. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the... to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So I didn't even get into that. The, the, the more you suffer, the more you get to rejoice. So that also at Revelation, the unveiling of his glory, we believe this is when Christ comes back and all the rewards and all the honor is given, you may rejoice with exaltation. So beloved, I wish I could say it's going to be easy. I don't know what's going to happen the moment you go out those doors. I don't know what some of you are going through now. I know some of you are going through some really hard trials. And the trials come because unbelievers don't like you. And the trials are coming because you're standing up against sin, even your own sin. But don't be surprised at those trials. Expect them. Realize God is testing you. He could remove everything instantaneously, but he is testing you. You're to rejoice the more you suffer but you're to look forward to rejoicing in his presence. And I know the only way you can do that is if you have a right relationship with God. And if you're being superficial about your Christianity, trials are the last thing in the world you want. But I'm just telling you, weakness destroys. Being a weak person kills. And don't be a weak person. Be someone that is strong. Nobody wants to go into battle. Nobody wants to have death occur. Like I said, I hate death. I hate war. But the reality of it is is we're in a spiritual war that comes into our physical and much death comes out of it. It's just the way it is. Any way to sugarcoat it, to misrepresent it, is we can go play church and have fun messages on Sunday morning. But that would be a lie. And when the trials come on, you'd be shaken. Understand this is the only attitude you can have. I pray today you commit to it. Make that resolve today. Make that decision. I will have this attitude. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you had the strength to come and tell us this, that you want us to understand what we're facing as Christians in this world, that this isn't a game. This isn't some type of just fun seminar. This isn't a gathering on a Sunday morning just to come to an understanding of how to be more loving and kind from a, just a flowery type of way. But Lord, this is a very difficult battle. And some of the trials that we've gone through in life already from the men and women in this church, I just pray, God, for their strength. I pray, God, that they don't give up. I pray, God, that they continue to hold on. And I pray, Lord, that when the new ones come tomorrow, that they're not surprised. And as my one friend Tim has been saying lately, come, Lord Jesus, come. How we just pray that today is the day that Jesus Christ comes. These trials make us yearn for your return. But in the meantime, God, there are so many unbelievers that need to hear. Help us not to be wimps, to be weak, to be milk toast about our Christianity. I thank you, God that 
we have truth and we have a hope that one day we'll be with you. Help our people. Help the men and women who are here, God, I pray, that I love, I care for, to have that focus that they're going to win in the end. I know it's easier if I thought in my triathlon practice, Lord, that I could win. I just want to do well. But we have a greater expectation as believers. We're going to win. Help us to have that attitude of rejoicing so that I believe that helps us with the sacrifice. And God, I don't know what trial anyone's going through, but if rejoicing will help them, help them think about the victory. Help them, God, for allow none of us to fail. And I pray that if there's anybody here that as they're thinking through where they stand in the world and there's a love for the world that seems to be cracking in their life, that maybe today is the day they repent. Maybe today is the day where they finally say, you know, I need to turn to Jesus Christ. I do love my sin. I do love my retaliation. I do love my vengeance. I do love my hatred for God. And I'm recognizing that that is wrong. Thank you, God, if that is happening for someone. And I pray that they would turn and embrace and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that you'd cause them to be born again, as Peter talked about in chapter 1, so that their eyes would be opened and they too would be on the winning side. In Christ's name, amen.